Is it summertime already? <laughs> oh gosh, well it seems like a great time to give a gay man some money. You may not know this, but Crisis Twink has a listener support option. If you go to the show notes and click the link, you may be presented with the opportunity to donate a small monthly fee to help support operating costs. It can be as little or as astronomical as you want, but any amount is appreciated. If I could give you a smooch, I would, but I can't. So enjoy these dulcet tones instead, uh, dulcet tones that many have described as akin to a very warm hug. So please donate if you'd like. Hey girlies, welcome to Crisis Twink, the podcast where we ring the alarm about cultural emergencies. Whether it's a flop album, an insane headline, a problematic fave, or just something that needs to be urgently discussed or you'll die, we're going to revive it and make sure it gets the medical assistance it so desperately needs. My name is Drew Haskins, and I am the only twink who can save a culture in crisis. Though today that is not actually necessarily true. We do have a twink on the podcast today. Um, a Canadian twink, no less. It's uh, Michael Sambasavam. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm a I'm an avid listener and I'm I'm glad to bring a second to the podcast. Yeah. It's it, it, we're we're getting an international perspective today from our neighbors in the north. So mm-hmm. different clashing of the cultures that need saving. Yeah. We're not, we're not doing so hot over here either. Okay, for those who may be unfamiliar, how does Canada need saving? Is on just a bit of a downward path right now. Mm-hmm. See, our the way we operate is every time something happens in the U.S. Uh, in, in some time frame of like eight months to ten years later, we sort of follow suit, um, and we're just sort of like gently following behind uh, an empire's decline. So we're I'm trying trying my best to stay positive though. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. It's hard to be in the empire that is declining too. Like, I mean, it just, we live in a society for lack of a better phrase. Right like I am truly on my wits end with like um, the, just like the, the discourse, the general vibes are so bad. I keep getting frantic emails from like Nancy Pelosi and various other like politicians that are like, drop everything and cry like it's it's really um she's always just, so she's always so disappointed and frantic remarkable it, it is really something to behold to be at that like fever pitch at all times <laughs> and think that that's an effective fundraising tragedy too like everyone loves being um in a in a perpetual state of like disarray and fear that's <laughs> like, how that's, that's how Fox News sell. Their their tagline is if it'll scare your grandma, we'll air it. So um I think that's how that's how Nancy lives. Yeah. I mean, I it's not really good for the mood, I'll put it that way. <laughs> but it's, no, it creates a creates an interesting, interesting environment, but certainly. I mean, at least though we have some nice culture to fall back on. I, we have a very special edition of Go Call the Governor today, which we're going to segue into. Ooh, Love excited. was in the air this week. And so I'm going to present you with three cultural scenarios from recent history that all have to deal with new couples, essentially. Couples 
not so surprising and couples very surprising and deeply weird to me. So you are going to have to decide whether or not the governor needs to be called on all this love. Um, there are no wrong answers here, though. Like, if you don't like something, say it. But your choice is binary. Does the governor need to be called or not? So I'm either calling the governor or leaving the governor be. Okay. Yeah, like letting them do whatever the governors do when they're not being called. I guess like sit poolside. I don't know. Okay, first scenario. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck are finally married 20 years after they first began dating. Does the governor need to be called? Is there a reason the governor needs to be called? I mean, I, if anyone, if if you tell me, if, I feel like I I I'm not calling the governor here. What I would call the governor on is whoever waited 20 years to to propose. I don't know what the holdup was. I think structurally, I'm not calling the governor because I don't see I don't see anything wrong about the couple. But like that in celebrity terms, that's like a millennium. It it is. Well, do you know their backstory? I don't. Oh, okay. Well, this is a fun story then. So Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck dated in the early 2000s when she was like, they were both like getting pretty big. And they invented the celebrity like portmanteau couple name, like Benifer was the original one of that. And they broke up after a few years because they got engaged and then broke up because of constant paparazzi hounding like and like this was like early to mid 2000s paparazzi culture that was hyper toxic like the stuff that drove like Britney Spears to have like a breakdown kind well, of stuff. Well since I watched the, the Amy Winehouse documentary I just have no yeah. time for mid 2000s paparazzi. It, 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 the whole culture was so bad and they basically destroyed this relationship. So both Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez get married and divorced to other people in the ensuing 15 years. Cut to 2021. They get back together after years apart, rekindle the romance at like, they're each like 50 years old and now they're finally married again. It is the greatest love story ever told. Okay, you know what? I, I have two emotions right now. On one hand, aw. They were meant to be. But also, I am calling the governor on both of them for getting married when they were clearly never meant to be married. There is no way that they both sort of collided at the same time. That there, there's some, there's something sus going on. There. Oh my god! They had. What? I'm not saying their their marriages were loveless per se, but. Um, oh, oh, you're talking about you're talking about the the non marriages to each other. Yeah, the the marriages Got to it. other people. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like, I, I don't know, I can't speak for them, but the, the odds that there were no lingering lingering thoughts over the course of their marriages seems dubious. No, I, I 100% agree with that. Like, this is definitely cosmic fairy tale romance that, and like they have, they each have kids, mind you though, with their former partners. And those so kids say. on both sides were in at the wedding too. Like they got like one of those like drive through like Vegas chapel weddings, but the kids were in the car and stuff. And I thought that was pretty cute. But I, if I were like, um, like he was married to Jennifer Garner. Also marrying two Jennifers in a row is very suspicious. To me. He has like, a type, it's, it happens. Um, he definitely does. <laughs> but like, I would be so pissed if my husband divorced me 
and then married the girlfriend that he was or the I mean his ex-fiance that he like <laughs> dated before me like that would the not ne- be the next year too yeah you know what I I think I'm not gonna call the governor but I will look funny at the both of them a little okay bit. I think that's my final verdict that that's that's fine I I think I can get behind that I do think love won in this instance and I did see a tweet earlier today that was like um this should have been like an American taxpayer funded event like the royal weddings <laughs> so I think people would have tuned in I, oh 100 um all right moving on to our next scenario a deeply weird couple to me uh Hillary Clinton's chief of staff Huma Abedin and Bradley Cooper are dating. I I will give Huma Abedin all the all the space and grace in the world that she needs, given what she has been through with her previous partner. Um, yes, <laughs> that's that's kind of my take on that. Bradley Cooper, absolute catch. We learned he could sing in A Star Is Born. Good yeah. for the good for the both of them. She's brilliant. And she gets this weird political criticism that the Clintons get to, and I don't get it. I've seen her in interviews. She seems great. Um, she married a bit of a hot mess before, but yeah, she's past that. And I don't, I have no reason to falter for that. I was really surprised to, like when I was reading all the articles about this new coupling, all the Anthony Weiner stuff was like almost 15 years ago at this point. Re- when did yeah. he run... I remember what have you seen the documentary I forget no. what it's called where he runs for mayor it is like watching a it's like watching a comedy movie it's like watching a mockumentary because it's so outrageous how ridiculous of a man this guy is yeah he he just can't help himself like oh okay so I looked up at the actual timeline so it was 10 years ago that all this happened but like yeah, I, I just like, you know, keep it in your pants, I think is like a good life lesson for everyone to learn from this. Quite but literally in this situation. He's the person who first, I think, introduced like the concept of the like, quote unquote, dick pick to the larger cultural consciousness too. Oh, absolutely. Grandmas around the nation learned about the term dick pick from um, Anthony Weiner. Yeah, against against their will. But like, I'm glad that Huma has risen above um Bradley Cooper is kind of a figure of suspicion on this podcast historically, but like what has I Bradley do... Cooper done? I Not... just think of Bradley Cooper as being just like the classic Hollywood star. He definitely, I think, is really like styling himself as a classic Hollywood star. Like I was listening to another podcast who weekly last week that posited that he's trying to do the George Clooney route, mm. like go into like humanitarian stuff a lot too like I mean he's even like George Clooney is married to like an international civil um civil rights lawyer who worked at like the ICJ and stuff but and I think Bradley is now like pivoting into his like serious um like serious girlfriend era okay you know what I got I got time for that this sounds like two people getting their acts together so I'm here for it Huma well, has always had her act. She's had her act she's together, like, but yeah. she's been she's been riding some tricky ships in the past. Anthony Weiner and then Hillary Clinton campaign. As much as I supported Hillary, it was very much a tumultuous time. I'm sure for her career. 
certainly life and just the vibes we were talking about vibes earlier and and riding through the 2016 election could not have been a very pleasant vibe no i like she's talked about all the anxiety and the trauma that she's felt from both like the sexting scandal and um the hillary stuff back to back and she still works for hillary Mm -hmm. yeah but now i think she works at the the clinton foundation yeah um she's in she's definitely like in her hollywood era though like they're making a huma mini series starring frida pinto from slumdog millionaire i'm gonna be honest that sounds terrible it's not you like a political miniseries is not usually my cup of tea in general like i'll probably be skipping that one but, but... also about a staffer i feel yeah. like it's weird to center a miniseries around a staff but you know what let them do it i'm i'm not calling the governor on this couple i'm calling them on anyone who is mean to uma abedin because she has not deserved that all right that that i a very nice measured take and now this, the final scenario, the, arguably the craziest thing of the week. Uh, Lana Del Rey visited the Cook County Jail, which is mere miles from where both of us go to grad school. <laughs> Does the governor need to be called? Yeah. Yeah, the governor needs to be called. What is going on there? So her, her boyfriend, her new boyfriend, is named Jack Donahue, and he was in a band called Salem. That was very popular in the early 2010s. And I'm not trying to like mansplain this to you. No, I think you are you are a lot younger than me in internet years and definitely did not were I don't think you were on Tumblr. <laughs> right. No, that was you are you are correct in the need to mansplain this. I am like firmly <clears throat> in I'm a zoomer. I'm a zoomer through and through at the end of the day. So this guy is I mean, for lack of a better term, he is a gay guy. Like, I, I, I heretofore had only known him as a gay man. He's just this, like, goth, gay, bear daddy. But that is, that is Lana's audience at the well, end. Well, that's, like, that, this, see, that's, that's the thing. Like, she, she is, like, they definitely are in love. And it makes sense. Like it makes a certain amount of sense that she would be dating this like essentially like a goth redneck gay guy. Mm -hmm. But why, why they visited Cook County jail, I think is beyond me. Wait. Oh, she was not visiting him in jail. They just, Oh (laughs) no, 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 no. They, they, they took a picture outside the, the, um, the prison fence. Odd. I mean, maybe I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Who knows? Maybe they were in there doing some prisoner music program, something like that. I like I one of those like USO shows, like early like, what Johnny Cash did it. Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I could I could see that he posted it like he um jacked on he posted this on Instagram with the caption like family visit so. <laughs> They could have been visiting like a relative too, but that also could be like ironic. Like, if they were there for the photo op, I'm calling the governor, which is what it's sounding like right now. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think it was a photo op. I'm not really sure why either of them were in Chicago, but like, I don't know. It's very, very, very confusing to 
to me and most others. If I were sent to jail and my family came and visited me and then I find out when I get out that like my brother posted a, an Instagram picture in front of the jail being like family time, I'd be I'd be kind of annoyed. I'd yeah, annoyed I, I would be too. And if um he took said picture with one of the biggest pop stars in the world as well, I, I think I'd be pretty pissed too. Like on top of that are you a lana fan i don't think i've ever talked about her not really it's less less my style of music okay i feel like i can appreciate her stuff but it's not it's not on any of my playlists yeah that's hard to hear as like a diehard lana fan but we do like who for the audience like who are some of your like faves just to give people a taste if we're going in the gay icon route, um, I'd say my favorites in that genre would be like, I really like Lord. I thought Melodrama was like one of my favorite albums of all time. Mm-hmm. Big, big, big Amy Winehouse fan. And then past that, oh, I saw Beach House on Friday. Oh, That's I got, a wait. Really good show. We have to talk about this because I also saw Beach House this week. Oh my God. It was so good, eh? Like Heaven on Earth. Really good. I was not expecting her to sound that good live. It, it- was like... It was in the, the venue that they played at. It was this gorgeous opera house called Massey Hall in Toronto, probably mm-hmm. the best sound in the city. And it was like being enveloped in just like the pure essence of Beach House. It was any everything and anything I could hope for. It, it They sounded like they do on tape. Like the sound quality was like outrageous. Like her voice, like she was like belting yeah. at points during the show. It was, and I wish I had seen her in like, Mm, like a more dignified space let's say like she played radius in chicago mm. um which actually mere blocks from the cook county jail so like she this venue is like a rave space usually mm. in my understanding like they do a lot more like edm shows so it was like cavernous like the acoustic quality of the space is probably not like perfect but for like a reverb heavy set yeah it was awesome like couldn't have been any better yeah the spot that I saw it was very much like it's the go-to for like serious musicians that come to Toronto and want to play a smaller show there's about 2,500 people or so and they definitely could have sold more than 2,500 tickets like I know that my ticket on the floor that was 80 bucks Canadian was going for like 300 resale or something like that yeah um and it was just like I don't know how familiar you are with blues guitar, but like when B.B. King came to Toronto, he played at Massey Hall. If you're like a serious musician who cares about music, you play at Massey Hall. I'm pretty sure Carly Rae Jepsen has also played at Massey Hall. Carly Rae Jepsen is popping off in a weird way right now. Um, Well, she she is big with the gays. Yeah, but she's kind of big. She's big with the gays and like the indie heads. Like my, yeah. I have straight, a uh, straight friend who went to Coachella and he was very excited about seeing Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah. I like, it's one of those, um, it's like the poptimism phenomenon where all these like hipster bros, like get really, like it starts as like an ironic love of pop music, but then like gradually, I guess, gets into like a genuine love. I don't know. I'm just fun. It's it music designed to just be fun. And it's, I mean, it's well-written, catchy songs. Like, I, I I don't really believe in, like, ironically liking culture. Like, you either like it or you don't like it. Like, why put, like, a shame or, like, some other, like, stigma on it? Just like what you like. Definitely. Definitely. My, my thing with Carly Rae Jepsen is I don't know that I've heard, I think I've heard two of her songs. So I think if I were going to a set of hers, 
I would be just like kind of dancing along until Call Me Maybe comes on and then I'd be brought back to like 2011. I really um, strongly suggest that you listen to her 2015 album, Emotion, which is one of the best pop albums of the past 10 years. Like she, she really makes great music. And that album, like she did some stuff with the people from Vampire Weekend, um, like Blood like Orange, it. like a lot of cool, like indie musicians did production for it. And it's great. I think you would okay. like that. I'll give that a go. I'll give that a go. I had just never really, you know what, to be fair, I'd never given Carly Rae Jepsen a chance. So I will. It's just been weird. She's playing like she's, she's playing everywhere these days. I saw a sign up. Yeah. She's playing a show in Toronto in a couple of weeks. She's kind of all over the place. I think she has a new album coming out at some point soon. Like she dropped a new single in May that sounds very it's very like Sarah McLaughlin-y it's a lot less poppy than what she's been doing the past few years but it's great like I will cheer on any Canadian artist that's not Drake so um not Drake I don't like Drake interesting okay this is a good segue actually into our next section but we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back and we're back let's move on to this episode's cultural emergency Michael, what are you rushing to the ER today? So today we're going to be talking about quintessential items uh, from my childhood, from the childhood of every single Canadian born within about five years me. Because when I came to Chicago for school, for reference, I I met Drew. We go to the same grad program. So I moved to Chicago for that. Um, I discovered that most of the cultures that that made up the essence of who I am do not carry over in the United States. So I decided that I am going to do a public service and introduce all the listeners of this podcast uh, to some of the most bizarre items that have sort of arose in the Canadian lexicon of the last 20 years. Incredible. And once again, I have to call out a guest for doing the work and preparing me a research sheet um which has been a nice trend the past few episodes this is not something I knew much about and it, it is fascinating like so like what what's your like earliest memory of kind of this like Canadiana that so, we get so it's very much driven where it was I guess before the rise of streaming by ad breaks in children's programming because I think there's there's laws in Canadian programming where a certain amount of the programming and advertising content has to be Canadian. Um, okay. So you, you get a lot of government PSAs and you get companies coming up with these low budget Canadian ads um, because for something to be classified as Canadian, I think it has to be made in Canada, but there's just not the same viewership. Um, so we get a lot of really bizarre, low budget advertisement. And there's a lot of stuff that's driven to just sort of like socially program kids into, into following certain ideas. Um, so I think, Drew, you mentioned this before the podcast, but the piece I think that you appreciated the most was maybe the house hippo. Um, uh, yeah, which I is, love that hippo. Which is, it's shocking to me that you've only just heard of it now because that is like, you could go down the street and talk to every single person about the house hippo and it is it is just essential to... Canadian culture. So for our audience, it is a about a minute long brief documentary about house hippos, um, <laughs> small hippos that are nocturnal and roam around people's homes eating the crumbs of peanut butter toast and nestling in cat fur for warmth. 
Um, and then it sort of fades away. And it, it, it basically, the gist of it is don't believe everything you see on TV. And I think that is a very toned down um, idea of just like the weird sense of humor that Canadian programming is kind of driven by. There's just sort of this overarching absurdism that that really drives everything we consume. Um, it's, it's so it, I love, I think the low, the low budget aspect of it is why they're also whimsical because they can't bring in like Bradley Cooper or whatever. It, it's just like a, a cheap CGI shot in a voiceover and then the government of Canada logo. Well, I'm going to be kinder to the cheap Canadian CGR than you are. I thought that Hippo looked remarkably realistic. Um, <laughs> I, I, I thought I, it was so charming. The shot of the PSA you sent me, um, the hippo was in a dog's water bowl, like like a float <laughs> tank, like you would see a hippo at the zoo. And I I just, I thought that was so cute. But I didn't know where it was going until, like message-wise, I was like, what is this a PSA for? <laughs> until it was like, don't believe what you see on TV. And that actually kind of made me lose my mind a little bit because it's such a silly idea for a sketch and then <laughs> for that message like that but that's the kind of stuff that sticks in your head like I don't remember that many 20 year old ads this is the one yeah I though there was one that you sent me that I had actually weirdly seen um on PBS like America's like public broadcasting system because a lot of kid shows from Canada actually got broadcast on PBS, like Caillou, um, Big is Comfy Canadian? Couch. Oh, Caillou is like dumb Canadian. I yes. apologize. But yeah, Caillou is like Quebecois, I think. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I haven't. I haven't rewatched Caillou in a in a hot minute. I, I can't. You know, I haven't either, so I can't speak to any of that. I do know it is like a French Canadian broadcast show that like, um, got like. I think translate or like dubbed from like French into English. Mm -hmm. um, but like that big comfy couch. Um, I'm forgetting. I had a third one and now I don't remember what it is. But like all of those were on PBS a lot and they would show like little PSAs and stuff too. And the one that I had seen before this um, was What's Your Thing? Oh my goodness. That... That one freaks me out as a kid because it's so frantic. They're it's just so throwing frantic. so much stuff in front of you and they're playing like jarring punk rock music. And it would be like, you'd be watching like Treehouse is the Canadian channel for kids where everything is just like very calm and meant for kids. And then what's your thing? And then heavy drums, guitar, there's a kid with bugs. It's, it's jarring. And it's all me. shot in this like fisheye lens, like, it's it's very like extreme with an X like, yeah. and, <laughs> and it was I, it was dated the second it came out. Well, all those little kids have like spiked like um frosted tip haircuts, and I was like, I don't know any kid, <laughs> and I was I was like seven years old in like oh one, or I'm sorry, no, I, I was six. I'm not that yeah. old. Um, I was six and oh one when this ad was made. I was like, I did not have a single classmate who was like, like six years old with like frosted tip like spikes like that's yeah. that's a little <laughs> I don't believe that for a second but to give perspective these ads I mean I, in 2001 I was one so I was not consuming this content um they 
I guess kept airing this for the foreseeable future because I'm going to guess I saw this ad for the first time in like 2006 and it was still kind of rolling with the early 2000s vibe. Yeah. Like it, it, it is it, like I immediately like could place the ad to watching a very specific type of kid show like at a very specific age like just off of this alone. But a lot of like some of these are pretty dark though for um or like the idea just hasn't aged well like the the video that you helpfully described as in a direct quote stay fit or else you will be chased by women um that is a very i don't think you could get away with doing you you absolutely could not get away with that um and it's funny because if you we, I discovered this last year um, when I was an undergrad that if you sing that song that plays in the ad um, in front of someone who's about my age, it will like trigger a reflex that brings you back into that ad. So for, for the audience again, the clip is of a, a, a little boy sprinting down the street, looking terrified um, and being chased by other little girls and then at the end of the other end, there's like Italian sort of music. Someone's yeah, it was like it was like pasta music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, it was music that could be in an Olive Garden ad. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the ad, he gets caught and they just start kissing him. And then the the moral of the ad is like stay in shape which is a horrifying message to give to little kids. Yeah, and my these are all like five or six-year-olds once again in these ads. Like, I, I think it's, you know, it's like, oh, like girls have cooties. Like, that's the underlying conceit of all this. But like, watching that from 2022, and it, like, I thought like, oh, what if the, like, not to do this thought exercise, but like, if the genders were swapped, like oh that would have <laughs> like, like, gone over badly when it was put out yeah but even then it doesn't there are like 50 different problems socially with that ad yeah like it, it was very fun I liked the the little the little boy in that ad he's like huffing and puffing like he has his hand over his heart at one point and I was like oh my god like this <laughs> is so he's like about to have a heart attack at five years old like Mm -hmm. like a stiff trot um that was that really made me laugh and then the actual like nightmare horror of the the like just say no ad that you sent me oh that one is that one is freaky but I think the the gist of sort of the ads in that I sent forward is that Canadian PSAs really love to use negative reinforcement to just freak kids out so yeah. sort of like, here's what's going to happen to you if you do the bad thing. So um, I actually, I know the drug ad you're, that you're talking about it, but I have not watched it since I sent it to you. Would you like to give a brief description of it yeah. or how you perceived it? So it's all puppets. Like there are these two like kid puppets and they're very grotesque. Like they're not like Muppets or Sesame Street cute ones. They're like, um, they're, they're queasy and queasy like- latex, like that's what like it's not like it's not like claymation either it's the they're very like plastic and gross and then there's an adult puppet who's like twice as big and that freaked me out for some reason that there was this like it's just deeply on before you even get to the meat of the negative reinforcement it just gives you just horrifying vibes it's it's awful 
and he's like trying to push these drugs on these kids and like while he's doing that like there's like a video collage of needles um gargoyles at a catholic church the virgin (laughs) mary like park benches like it's all very like grayscale to this montage and it's very like it looked like a nine inch nails music video and then at the end the kids are like we don't want this and they are in a dark alley that's very Mm -hmm. important like surrounded by garbage cans and I'm like why would those kids be there in the first place like it 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 was very 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 um, actually on on that note with the montage and the negative reinforcement you know what I think they're going for have you ever seen um a clockwork orange or read a clockwork orange I actually have not it's a big basically the gist of it is that there's this British guy commits a bunch of horrible crimes he's like kind of 16 17 years old gets arrested and they say you can get out of jail if we can do this experimental treatment on you and basically they like they tape his eyes open and they just flash horrifying images in front of him um while they play like classical music basically to stop him from from doing terrible things um and I think that's that's the same energy as as Canadian advertising going for because they, they are, you know what I'll give them? They are enticing. Like, I remember as a kid, I would watch the ads. Like, I would genuinely yeah. sit there. If the house hippo came on, I was, like, tight in my chair because that that stuff was fun. Um, yeah, like, they, I, they they're me. definitely very effective, well-made ads, like, with a strong visual hook. Like, I don't think, like, an American ad agency is coming up with something like the house hippo, honestly, just because, like, like there is something very like silly and nonsensical about it but like the message sticks with you because the imagery is like so crazy I think the big thing that that sort of sets these ads apart is that they're not um like they're not workshop they're not focus group yeah there's it's it'll be smaller departments smaller budgets so someone comes up with an idea run it by their boss it gets made it gets put on Canadian television yeah like and I mean, Canadian television, like you talked a little bit about um, just kind of like the messaging and like the PSA nature. Like, I mean, this is, that's just like within the ad space, like a lot of Canadian TV was pretty like PSA message heavy too. Like, I don't know. Did you ever watch Degrassi? I did not. Okay. I have like dipped in and out like a good amount over my life I guess like it was just one of those things that was always on tv and in the states and I've it's all very like after school special like every episode is like a kid gets into a sticky situation with like I don't know like drugs or like getting into like a weird car like one of the most famous episodes of it like a girl gets an abortion which was like very shocking yeah and like oh five or whatever and then, like, I mean, not to spoil, like, a 15-year-old um, episode of TV, but, like, Drake, who got his start on Degrassi as, like, one of the the kids, gets paralyzed in the school shooting. Well, that's the, like, what you say? That's, like, the whole <laughs> meme shtick, isn't that what Well, that that's the from? OC. That's the OC. Oh. Like, but I'm sure there are super cuts of, like, them doing, like, I must have what you say. Yeah, like, I mean, that song is shorthand for, like, teens shooting each other at this Mm. point, but it got started with, like, the American show, The O.C., which is also very good, and I would recommend watching that, but, like, um, like, like, 
I never watched any of the other like American like kids like young adult shows that were so heavy on like if you get into something like this these are what the consequences will be I would say I think you guys get a a certain screenshot of Canadian content like you get the best produced most well-received stuff is the only stuff that crosses the border um but then you also tend to get stuff that's just like more amenable to American audiences yeah um and I think you you've seen in the last couple of years Letterkenny and um what's it called uh Shit's Shit's Creek. Creek. Yeah. Shit's Creek. those are the two ones that have popped off in the U.S. and like that style of like small town Canadian programming is like the meat of of what I watched as a kid and what was on like the public networks like there were shows like Corner Gas, I'm sure, never made it to the United mm-hmm. States. It was about like a small town in Saskatchewan, 300 people, really low budget, but it was just like Canadian programming was always very quaint. Yeah, well, like um, back when like broadcast TV, like, you know, watching like ABC, CBS, Fox, like those like non cable standardized tv channels well like it was a way bigger thing then than it is now like they used to grab canadian shows especially canadian crime shows yeah and use those to fill in open slots on programming like there was the show flashpoint um i never watched that yeah it was like a hostage negotiator show that sounds cool but it was it was it was a canadian show like produced for cbc that they just grabbed and put on like um I think like ABC here something like mm-hmm. that I mean it was not it was it was just like but it was like very cheaply done like just a like I, like I'm a sure, crime show yeah I'm sure it was all just like reruns I'm sure the show was done by the time it aired in the U.S. yeah it definitely like it was not like a co-production or anything mm-hmm. one show we did get here that you sent over to me that I was always like completely repulsed by Mr. Meaty was Mr. Meaty this yeah is the wildest show it's the same style of puppetry as in that uh the drug ad yeah it's just like horrifyingly grotesque puppets in these awful situations I think the clip I sent you is the infamous episode where one of them deep fries their own hand yeah um to impress a girl um and that that image of the hand is like it's become like a Twitter shorthand meme too. Like, I don't remember much about this show because it, like, even when I was a kid, I was like, oh, this is really not like for me that much. But like, I wasn't allowed to watch it. I think it came yeah. on like after dark. No, it was, it, this was, um, this was like a Nick, it was on Nickelodeon in the States, which is usually like the, sh- like the channel with like SpongeBob and Fairly Odd Parents and Jimmy Neutron and stuff. But then like at, like 8 30 to 10 mm-hmm. they would play mr meaty degrassi broken i was always on at the same time as mr meaty yeah and that was like the canadian hour in avatar avatar the last Air- airbender they would do it 8 30 and then afterwards they would do those two shows but avatar i think is canadian too actually is it i th- maybe i think it is actually a lot of animated shows are canadian i believe it yeah um, um but yeah mr meaty for reference is set like i don't know why it needs to be set in a particular place given that it's puppets working at a fast food restaurant in the mall yeah. but it is, it's set on the east end of toronto i don't think i internalized that as a kid like 
maybe just because like the whole premise I was actively rejecting mm-hmm. <laughs> as I was watching but, like, the details just didn't get there but the like it, I don't it, it was very like sur- it's surreal humor it's the same like kind of yeah it's the same imagery as the drug ad and like the same kind of like sensibility as the house hip- hippo just like weirdly way more inappropriate and absolutely zero like public service value no from mr meaty it's like it's classic shock value kind of cartoon humor i did really like um the uh la nanas parlay i don't speak french, Francais. oh my god yeah french i like french 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 pineapple yeah yeah that's if you had a substitute teacher for French class, you knew that you were getting telefrancais. Yeah, like, so, so did you have to learn French when you were growing up? Because you're from Toronto, you're not from. Yeah, like, so how they, how they do it is in grade four, so when you're like 10 years old or something mm-hmm. like that, they start teaching you French. And I think you, you have to take it at some level from grade four to grade 10. Um, okay. And most, most kids, I think in English speaking Canada, take the most basic French that they are allowed to take. They complain every second of it and then they drop it as soon as they can. Um, I opted into, uh, it's called French Extended, so half my courses were in French, so I do speak French, but I am, I am more the anomaly. I think, I don't know who's to blame exactly, but English-speaking Canada is not very good at learning second languages. Well, English-speaking United States is not very good at learning second languages either. I think it's just like, it's English supremacy Yeah, in that regard. But I remember, like, when I, I took Spanish, like, for 13 years, Mm -hmm. but we never had any, like, at least the way I learned it, we did not have that many, like, educational, like, characters like this. Like, this pineapple was a new, a new thing for me. I mean, you guys had Dora. Well, I was, I was too old old for Dora. Yeah, I was too old for Dora. Like, the one, um... I didn't ever do this, but like it, they ran infomercials when I was a kid for this program called Muzzy, where it was like hand drawn animation, like very similar to like Schoolhouse Rock, kind of. And this blue furry monster would teach you languages, and you could get like a box set of like Spanish, French, Chinese, like. Uh, like a good amount of stuff but it was like a pay thing so like you'd have to like call the um call the hotline like order the tapes yeah and then that's how you would learn but like I we just never did muzzy like my like public school system was always pretty good about teaching languages from like a young age so that's just what I did yeah that's good I I think I would say the vast majority of students in Toronto come out of high school and they can basically say Bonjour, comment ça va? And, and that's kind of the bulk of it. So like, where does the pineapple fit in though? Um, that's an excellent question. Uh, well, we, we also do have Quebec, so we have a whole French speaking region and right. there are French speakers in, in all different parts of the, the country. And I guess the pineapple came from some combination of the surrealism that is present in, in Canadian culture and also just the need for French Canadian um, television programming because like I think from what I gather um, a lot of French speaking Canada very much likes to hold up like their language which is specifically Canadian French um, like as a dialect of French 
Um, so I, I think there is like a lot of emphasis put on like maintaining Quebec culture as opposed to just importing French programming from France. Got it. So this this is a show that would actually air on TV. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, I sent it just because it's it's that it's that same puppetry again. Oh, I hate it. Well, the puppet I didn't care for. He looked like a corn cob. Like this was not like a recognizable pineapple. That was more of the. I think the reason I sent that is because I think that that queasy style of puppetry is present across so many areas of Canadian content, and I don't, for the so, life of me, know why. Because there's yeah. no like, it's not. There's nothing in my day-to-day life that involves puppets, but that's not mm. the sense that you would get if you looked through the list that I sent you. <laughs> that's definitely not the sense I would get. Like, it is a very puppet-heavy culture in a very, like, I mean, is there a felt shortage in Canada? Like, nope. why are they all, it's it's really... Um, I'm guessing it's budget at the end of the day. It's, it's probably cheaper to do puppets than to animate a show, I guess. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, there are a lot of puppets in American kids programming too. It just, it's a very, like, you look at like a Mr. Rogers and they're like actual hand puppets, like a little, yeah. like close to sock puppets. But they look kind of like cuddly and stuffed animal-esque at times. And then like Sesame Street and the Muppets mm-hmm. are like... They're gorgeous. They're Muppet. well done. They're meant yeah. to be comforting children's characters. But those were also like pretty high tech for puppets, I think. Like when yeah. they actually... Like Jim Henson is like He's a trailblazer in that field. So like I, I guess like I'm holding everything to like a really high standard. But it is shocking to see like something that's supposed to be a pineapple not really look like a pineapple yeah i feel like that undermines the educational value of a segment like that well you're learning french and the whole premise of the french is that this is a talking pineapple Mm -hmm. but it's not a pineapple but i think i would I think I would rather have a, a completely bilingual population that can't recognize a pineapple um, over what we have now. Oh yeah, I feel like now you guys, I mean, it, it goes for here too. Like you have people who don't speak two languages and don't know what a pineapple looks like. like we're, we're in the worst case scenario with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, and it's, I mean, not to, Canada is a beautiful, elegantly cultural place, but some of the food you sent me here on this list too is... Oh, but I think uh, I think some of it you've never tried, which is why you're talking shit right now. There I, is I can swear on here, right? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, I have okay. had um I have had bag milk and I have had bloody Caesars. Those two things I have had. Okay. Maple taffy sounds fake. It sounds like a stereotype. Essentially, the gist is that Canadians boil maple syrup and then you pour it over snow, you roll it up on a stick and you eat it like a like a lollipop. That sounds fine to me. It is delicious, served at every ski resort in Canada. What was sticking out as as throwing you off on here? Is it the no-name brand? I did not know what a beaver tail was. Um, Another uh, like sort of winter classic. It's essentially a big rolled out donut, deep fried. And then my favorite is I get Nutella and banana on it, but you can also get like, you can get cinnamon and sugar. You can get whatever you want on it. They're almost always sweet. So it's like funnel cake, kind of. It's basically Canadian funnel cake. Yeah. Okay, that tracks to me. Um, I actually liked the the no name brand product labeling. Mm-hmm. 
it, it was like like doll food like the name stuff yeah it's, like it's it, so comic see the thing is the no name brand so again for our listeners no name the premise of the brand is that all the packaging is just plain yellow and it'll say stuff like um like i'm reading it here grated cheese product is what they call their parmesan um yeah or eight blueberry waffles no adjectives no descriptors um they've recently started making beach towels they're just big yellow towels that say towels and then in smaller writing for the beach um, oh, I, I wouldn't want, I would want to cop one of those. That's kind yeah. of fun. Yeah. But the, the, I think it's genius marketing because it's meant to be like, it's the cheap stuff that you get at every store. But now, you know, if you see a yellow block on the shelf, it's no name brand and yeah. it'll still be, it'll be just as good as the store brand. Uh, and it'll be half the price. Nothing else is going to be yellow like that. Like, no. and it is, I mean, it's ahead of the curve, like all of I feel like every new product branding right now is this like hyper minimalist. Yeah. Matt, like it says like sock on it mm-hmm. or whatever. And like, this is like clearly like this has been the branding for a long time and it's like charming and recognizable. I, I like it. Oh, they, um, have not, they have not changed their font since I have been alive. I don't think yeah. they ever will. So what's tim beebs so that was the one that really i've been to tim hortons mm-hmm. we do have tim hortons here i have not been looped in on the justin bieber tim horton collaboration and that that i was I, as someone who is a famous justin bieber hater this was not so there's no one. there's really no rhyme or reason that any of the foods that they serve are justin bieber branded they just are so uh, they have Timbits, which are just donut holes. Yeah. Um, and then they re- they made a few different flavors of them called Tim Biebs. Nothing special about them. What pisses me off about the Tim Biebs lineup is that they have encouraged uh, Tim Hortons to come out with maybe the worst iteration of cold brew coffee I have ever tasted in my life. Um, yeah. It's well, terrible. The- and then the other thing that they do is they, they just sell a bunch of branded stuff. It is like very much classic corporate nonsense. <laughs> You get Tim, like, Hortons, Tim Hortons actually isn't Canadian anymore. They got sold to the parent company that owns like uh, Burger King and I forget. Yeah, that, um, that's why they've been franchising it more in America. Um, like my dad's family is from Ohio and Ohio is chock full of Tim Hortons yeah. now. Like it, it's like you'll see as many Tim Hortons as you would like a Dunkin Donuts. But I think they're doing that because they have they have like pissed off all of Canada so they they changed their coffee supplier to a cheaper coffee supplier. They stopped making their donuts in house. They started like freezing them and shipping them in. And I think there is a general understanding that Tim Hortons is where you go to get cheap coffee, but it won't be good. People go to McDonald's for coffee now instead. Yeah, well, I mean, like that's kind of how it is with like Starbucks too. I mean, like Starbucks yeah. coffee's gotten like. I mean, I'm a Dunkin'. As like listeners of the pod know, like I am a Duncan diehard will be until I am ash in the grave, but it's like Starbucks, it's not as good as McDonald's. It just isn't these days. Like, and it's half as cheap. Like I'm not getting donuts either place, but. Yeah, I'm not getting the McDonald's donut, but Tim's is basically the Duncan of Canada. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if I've had like the new, donuts are the old ones but like I've always like enjoyed my time at Tim Hortons like it's not like great but like it scratches the edge mm-hmm. the fun the fun thing about Tim Hortons is if you go to any small town 
uh, and you walk into their Tim Hortons, it is the gathering place for the seniors of the community. You'll uh. just see, you'll just see sort of a dozen old men sipping coffee and munching on Timbits and just kind of shooting the shit. It's good. It's good vibes. As much as the they've sold out in a corporate sense, it's still very like. If you go to a rural Tim Hortons, it's pretty wholesome. Yeah, you have like it's like the community center. Absolutely, like, yeah. Uh, they sponsor. They do all the Canadian stuff. They sponsor like hockey programs and all that good stuff. So they they really because Tim Horton was a hockey player. Yeah, I knew I knew that. Um, even as like a non, I don't want to be offensive to a guest. As a non hockey fan, I <laughs> I do I did know that Tim Horton was a hockey player. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, hockey, arguably Canada's biggest cultural export to the States. I, I'd say so, although it, it's not that big in the States. I feel like you have to go to like very specific pockets of the United States to. Yeah, to and it, it's culture. it's weird. Um, like it, it, it's really weird depending on where you go to. Like I grew up in D.C. and like the Washington Capitals are hugely popular. Yeah. But, like, they weren't hugely popular until Alex Ovechkin started playing for them in, like, 03. And then, like, just all it took was, like, one, like, star, superstar player to get people really obsessed with them. Yeah. But then, like, um, like Tampa is weirdly a huge American hockey hub. Also because the team's It's because really they're good. good. But, like, yeah. they have been for, like, 15 years now. Like, people, like, Tampa's been, like, a huge hockey hub. But, like, markets it's that also you would- ta- Tampa does well for hockey because that is where Canadians go in the winter. So I know yeah. I when when me and my family drive down to Florida sometimes, hockey tickets in Toronto, you might pay 250 bucks for the worst seats in the house. We go down to Tampa, we pay 70 bucks a ticket and we get lower bowl seats. So Canadian snowbirds, basically old folks who travel down to Florida for the winter are I think like half the audience of, of Tampa Bay Lightning games. And like, I mean, Tampa Bay did have a bunch of like famous Canadian players too, between like Vincent LeCavalier and like Martin St. Louis for a while. I yeah, that's names, that's every yeah. every American hockey team is full of Canadians. Yeah, <laughs> they're like outsourcing. Like, I don't know. I mean, you'd think markets like like the Blackhawks of they're one of like the original six teams, right, in the yeah. U.S. Like, but like I don't really think of Chicago as a hockey town necessarily. It's, it's like a. It, town and it's a football town and it's and it's a basketball town I, it's really yeah a, it's everything but hockey <laughs> it's a hockey town last at the end of the day yeah and like i feel like new york is the same way too like well new york is definitely like a baseball town first and foremost yeah. but like i mean between the rangers and the islanders like you have two teams there that the islanders are like long island but like you'd like you'd think would be bigger but like i mean but like the cultural footprint of hockey is still Big. There's a Seinfeld episode about about the New York hockey team, so I feel like yeah. They, yeah. And every American country music star, a female country music star, is married to a hockey player. So like, there is, is the like case? a cult. Oh yes, oh yes. Um, they're all married to hockey players. Um, so like there is like I guess cultural value in that spot. Like they are providing they're providing lyrical fodder mm-hmm. for the American country music industry. So. <laughs> I think that checks out because I think a big part of Canadian culture is pretending that you're not from anywhere near a city. It is just like the act of, of trying to act more country than one is. Yeah. Um, because a big cultural phenomenon in Canada is just hating on Toronto. 
Um, so like if you're not from Ontario, which is the province that Toronto's in, you hate Ontario. But if you're from Ontario outside of Toronto, you just hate Toronto. So there's, I, I have definitely seen, and I think it's big in hockey culture, that people will put on a bit of a twang and listen to country music. And then like I had a, I had a roommate in yeah. first year, he was like that. And I was like, oh, where are you from? He's like, Ottawa. And I'm like, you're from a city too. Yeah. What the heck? <laughs> well, to be fair though, like Canadian country is well represented. Like Shania Twain is yeah. a global international recording sensation. Can and I she's from you, like the middle of nowhere. In Canada. Can I tell you something funny about Shania Twain? Please. So she's, she's from a small town in Northern Ontario, like real small town. I'm going to say 10,000 people. It's, it's mostly a mining town. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put up a Shania Twain museum. Um, and then I think about, oh, I don't know when it was, but at some point they tore it down so they could um, open up a new open pit mine. Oh, so they, that's sad. That was it was ceremonial, but you know what? If there's if there's ore to be dug, then yeah, they, shell. they can't even move it somewhere else. That is a bummer. <laughs> um, I love. I will say, like, I mean, talk about like Shania a little bit. Like, I Canadian music from the two thousands was like definitely my only gate, like my main gateway to mm. like. Like mostly Avril Lavigne. Like Avril Lavigne was like Celine Dion. deeply formative. Celine, like I, di- I didn't really like gain an appreciation for Celine Dion until I was a little older. Like she was always kind of like a cheesy punchline in my house. Um, because she is very like, I mean, she makes like adult contemporary stuff. Like it's yeah. not like for kids, that's not like great music or whatever. But like though, like Avril, Celine, Shania, and like Fifi Dobson, that was my like four my big four yeah that checks out yeah and wait but like avril avril will always be like near and dear to me and she's also like ontario right i have no idea where she's from mm. um she's Shawn i know mendez. she's like small town small town yeah sean yeah. mendez is from just outside of the toronto as well um, i don't i have no love for are you a sean mendez fan i'm not i'm really not a big pop music person um, yeah that's fair yeah but, I, I I have no thoughts about Sean Mendes. I hope that he's well. That's kind of, that's kind of the extent. That's okay. Enough. If someone referred to me like that, I'd be insulted. It's okay. I have nothing. I I I I. I that's as nice as I'm going to be. So, um, this is a good uh, transition though into our final segment: tear the community apart. Mm-hmm. So the rules are very simple. I've picked two songs, and you're going to tell me which one is better. Okay. This is a pretty easy exercise for the most part. Um, And I think you will find something to like here. So these two songs are from 2011, 2012. They're two of the biggest rap crossover hits by two of the absolute biggest rappers on earth, both back then and now. Arguably these two are bigger now than they were in 2011 2012 one of them is canadian and has been mentioned on this podcast but good song still i think but i'm not playing this game you are which song is better take care by drake and rihanna or swimming pools drink by kendrick lamar oh that's not even a question it's swimming pools it's especially the the extended edition that is like one of my favorite hip-hop songs of all time 
Um, I have zero love for Drake. I mean, as a person, who, who knows? I don't really follow him that closely. Although I must say, as a person, he doesn't seem like the most savory figure. No, um, he definitely, definitely, he seems like an asshole in a lot of ways. But like, what, what about Drake's music rubs you the wrong way? Because he's arguably the world's most visible Canadian right now. So you know that that feeling that you get when you get to like an appointment early and it's somewhere where you don't really get any cell reception and the lighting is it's like like going to like the DMV or something like that. Uh, yeah, that's how I feel when I listen to Drake's music. It just makes me irritable um, and it it just sort of grates on me. Um, yeah, I couldn't tell you why. It just has that effect on me. Whereas. Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar is my probably my favorite. Like if you if you look at my Spotify rap this year, it is going to be all off that new album. So yeah. I think you you kind of you didn't set me up here, but but I, I felt like I did because I knew that I know you like Kendrick, but like I wasn't I wasn't sure about Drake. I mean, I love early Drake. Early Drake to me, before he been, got like super navel gazing and toxic, like I, is pretty good for me. I have a little bit more time for early Drake. Did you listen to his new album? Yeah. Um, so I'm a mixed bag with it because it's definitely the most like palatable album he's made in a long time. But like most of those songs do not stick with me. He had all. no, I think he has no place in, in the cultural ecosystem to put out a, a house album. Well, I'll agree with you on that point. It was very surprising to hear like, a man that I don't really associate with dancing or rhythm put out an album like that. Like no. it did not feel very like lived in as an experience for him. There are some like fun songs on it though. And I did like um, when he did more life a few years ago and he was dan- dabbling with like Afro beats a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And like, I, there's some like house songs on that with like Georgia Smith and like other people I like that. I like, I did find that nice, but like, I don't know it's not my favorite like yeah. but this new Kendrick well let's talk about the Kendrick album a little bit because I guess this will technically be the second episode of Crisis Twink that has like touched on this because we did do one with our mutual friend Marissa Jones yeah a few months ago and I've sat with the album now that was like a month and a half ago why are you thinking about this album so I think my journey with this album is at first I listened to it and I thought I, I really enjoyed it all the way through. Um, just like, like sonically, like my first yeah. listen through purely musically really loved it. And then I sort of, I did have to grapple with the way he played with themes. Um, I think in particular, the way that he used Kodak Black on his album. Um, yeah. I, I sort of flip flop. And I think to this day, I flip flop between is it wrong to give this person the mic at all? But also, I feel like he also uses Kodak Black as like a literary device. Like in the way that I think I've settled on the album is he offers zero glory to Kodak Black. And I think it's more, I think a big part of the album is this this exploration of how our environments impact us um, sort Mm -hmm. of in ways that we don't know. Um, and I think the, the framing of the album was that Kendrick is someone who experienced a lot of trauma growing up and he managed to get out. Um, and then Kodak Black is someone who, who was not able to break a cycle of generational trauma. No. And I think, I think it, he doesn't try to excuse his, uh, his actions, but it's, to me, it's explanation. 
So I think it's still, it was a little unsettling and I totally understand. I think there are lots of parts of the album where if someone says I'm not comfortable with that, um, I think that's valid. Yeah. Um, but I think the way that I settled on the album is I thought it was a really, it, like it, it almost read like a book of poetry. Definitely more, I, I that last sense especially, I really agree with because this is not an easy listen and it's like one that I've had a tough time revisiting, like just cause you can't really listen to these songs in a vacuum. No. Either like this album, like it, it almost is one long poem that you have to consume as a whole body of work, which is really challenging with like some of the Kodak stuff. And yeah. like, um, like we cry together, I find insanely difficult to listen to. Um, it's, it's deeply uncomfortable, but I yeah. think it's, I think it's meant to do so. I haven't, it, it's, it, it's a, I think one of the two best songs on yeah. the album, but like it's, it's not something that's like, it's it's very unpleasant at the same time it's like, like you're it's like you're eavesdropping on someone like I remember yeah. the first time I listened to it I was like I I shouldn't be here right now no like I, I I find it hard to imagine someone who would listen to that album or for that song specifically for pleasure for lack of a better phrase like it, it it's really really it's well done but like in the same way like mother i sober my other favorite song on the yeah. album is very hard to listen to like two like titanic works of songwriting and like construction that i almost never want to listen to ever again <laughs> yeah i listen to it for Oh, what's her, is it Taylor Page who does? Yeah, Taylor Page. I listened to it for her performance. That is yeah. one of the single best, because she's not, I think, primarily a musician. She's primarily- No, she, she's a, she's an actor and dancer. Yeah. Um, I think that's the best feature on the album, though. Oh, easy. And I like, I think, like, if, like, taking the Kodak stuff in a vacuum, just, like, on a song level, which is hard to do with him, like, he's, he's, pretty good and like silent hill is another song that i really I enjoy love from this song. album i love that song um, so much but you do raise an interesting like i had not considered the juxtaposition of some of like kendrick as someone who has like gruelingly managed to transcend not all but like some of like the generational trauma that like saddled yeah. him and kodak having still being stuck in that like just this week like i mean i think four days ago kodak got arrested again yeah. um i think for dr like drug possession and like potential trafficking stuff which was like yeah. i mean he's not a good dude and like we talked about that in marissa's episode too which if people have not listened to that like you must 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 go um but i mean it's it is just it's a sad situation all around Definitely. No, yeah. definitely. And I, I think it is, I think my big question at the end of the day is, is it, is the net benefit the fact that we can have this conversation about it? Because I think a lot of the time, the things that make us uncomfortable are the things that really get us thinking about stuff. Like I think mm -hmm. anti-diaries in particular, um, I think it, that's the one where he says the F slur a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. um, and I, th I saw sort of two takes on it. One was that he has no right to say it. He should not say it. This song does not hold any value. It makes people uncomfortable. It's harmful. It's not nuanced. And then the other side that I saw about it is just thinking about who he's 
like what is the audience that he's talking to like yeah I think he's not trying to speak to like your academics about a nuanced topic no he's, of he's course like to a, he's he's he has a microphone to the masses and I, I think it's there is still a lot of homophobia I, I think I probably don't experience it too too much because I'm in a a very particular circle of peers that I have self-selected but yeah at large I mean he has a massive audience and he's he's taking the issue I think in a way that a lot of people can kind of process it and because especially because he's one of the most well-respected artists of the last decade yeah 100 percent like I, I I do think this album is sort of he it, there has been like a savior narrative that has built up around him over the past decade yeah. that this album seems to be actively rejecting a little bit but I don't think I think the Kodak Black stuff is more of like the actor projection like Auntie Diaries to me is a very well-intentioned song but yeah. like it's clumsy but I think it's supposed to be clumsy and something I thought like I've sat with and thought about since the Marissa episode when we talked about it was if this was that song was just a written piece of poetry and not like spoken aloud I don't think people would have a problem with it I think it's because like he's being very confrontational with these words yeah verbally and not being like I don't think he's trying to harm people with this but like the misgendering oh, is not, not great either but like yeah. if you read it I think it would somehow be more palatable I think what people struggle with a little bit is being able to listen to music and not interpret it as the artist speaking their own thoughts. Right. Like very much in that song, he's playing a character and that character is his old self, but he's not, he's speaking through a different lens. Um, and I think it's the equivalent of like reading historical books that use derogatory language yeah. or watching movies about neo-Nazis. And you don't look at the actor and say like that actor should have never said that. It's like, oh, this is, this is sort of, a character that we're meant to learn from in a cautionary way or a, a developing yeah. type. You're 100% right. Like, in, I mean, we just do live in like a very like, for a lot of, like morally puritanical era in a lot of ways. Like we are yeah. very like, we're sensitive in the right ways to how people want to be treated. But we are sometimes oversensitive with like policing people working critically through the gray areas. And, and it, can, it can make it hard to have a conversation about, about topics like this. Yeah. Like I, th I think probably if I went out and tweeted all the things that I said here, I'd, I'd probably catch flack from just about everyone. But like, I don't, th like, I think the people who would be giving you flack for something like that lack a degree of self-interrogation about like what it truly means to learn about changing mores and changing like uh, like ideologies you know like it's the learning and I think that like this album is such a good microcosm of that both like from like how Kendrick engages with like outside ideas and also just like his own trauma like learning and growth are not before and after processes. Like no. there is this insane middle middle point that is so confusing and messy and things are not always said correctly. And like people make mistakes like in behavioral um, snafus, all that. 
and because we expect artists to be role models now which i think is a fallacy in the first place like oh, when we see people learn and like being like see people in the midway of this this learning and growth process it is uncomfortable and like especially for someone like kendrick who like i mean all of his music's been so like anthemized like you know in our cultural moment and like damn just like sonically as an album is a very it was his like radio album like there yeah. were like as that's as poppy as his music is ever gonna get probably so like you have something like this that is like you cannot listen to singles and it's a very challenging lyrical piece in a way that like we're not really used to from him I didn't think about it that way that there's I guess there was a whole audience that only caught on to Kendrick and like 2017 or whatever yeah. and then was expecting damn part two because I feel like if you listen to to pimp a butterfly nothing on this album was even a little bit shocking no I I agree like to pimp a butterfly has like not to reduce something like all right to like a hit but like it's a yeah. hit and like yeah. that's also it's, become uh, like the the song of like um like the Black Lives Matter movement in America essentially yeah. like and if you're looking for something like that even though To Pimp a Butterfly is like insanely challenging as a work and like has big ideas like it's about like a broader struggle yeah rather than like one man's internal stuff and like I think that that's just like it's it's inherently less relatable subject matter definitely like, and that was that was kind of what it was meant to be like it yeah I think he says in the, in the end on mirror like I'm I choose me and I, like this was his this was his work it took him yeah. five years he wasn't here to impress us or give us content or make a bunch of money he put this out because he wanted to put it out and I have a lot of respect for that I wish people were still talking about it more because I mean and this is just like the attention economy these days in general but it came and went very quickly compared Definitely. to the other Kendrick albums which I mean it's not my favorite Kendrick album but like it it definitely deserves to be talked about a lot more than it is because he is a generationally talented artist a literal Pulitzer Prize winner like yeah and he got two weeks that people were talking about this and then nothing yeah and, and you know what I I probably could have guessed that after my first listen because it's not there aren't the bangers there's like no there's a couple songs that could be played on the radio but really probably won't be all that often um and the, a, the fan response has been pretty muted yeah but um, you know what i don't care i enjoyed it and not and it hasn't been muted here we've <laughs> spent like an hour of crisis twink talking about it and i will not take those hours back for anything um <laughs> well, we do have to wrap up today, okay. but this was a treat. Michael, thank you so much for being here. Um, if you would like to be found on social media, where can people find you? You can find my Instagram is Mike Samba, and I think that's the only place I need to be followed. Okay, perfection. Um, you can follow me. Uh, I always forget my handles. I like really should get better at doing this. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Drew Haskins Z's on Twitter at FK Pigs with a Z um, and follow at Crisis Twink Pod on Instagram and Twitter for direct updates from the pod proper. So um, with that, uh, until next week, bye everyone. Bye.